So we are continuing our series that we are doing throughout the summer called What Does the Bible Say About? And then the dot, dot, dot is because we're talking about what the Bible says about different topics. And so, so far we've heard from Pastor Matt, what does the Bible say about itself? What does the Bible say about science? And we're going to be continuing this series on t- in talking about what the Bible says about rest. Okay. Now we're always looking for, we're still looking for more topics. Uh, we've received a lot of questions from you guys. So there was a handout in your, your bulletin where you can ask your question. What does the Bible say about this topic? And if, so, if you haven't asked the question and you still would like to, um, we would encourage you, please fill those out and put those in the connection box. Leave them on your seat as you, as you uh, go this morning. Um, because we've received so many that we are like, this would make a good sermon that we're, we're kind of struggling to find some that we would like to discuss in deleted scenes on Thursdays at 3. Um, so we would highly encourage you, please fill those things out so that we might find some more topics that we might discuss on deleted scenes. Because of that, uh, there is no question too serious and no question too silly. And if you're anxious about you know, asking the question and putting your face to it, uh, you can leave it anonymous and that's completely fine. But please, ask questions and we would love to discuss those things. Like I said this morning, we are tackling the topic of rest, and for some reason, um, this sermon—it's a pretty young—you uh, know—I'm a pretty young pastor, so I haven't preached like a whole bunch of sermons in my lifetime. But for some reason, this is the sermon that has caused me the most anxiety. I've been really stressed out leading up to this sermon, um, and I think it's because we have this idea of work ingrained so strongly into our society. Um, in, in this country, that I, I was afraid to challenge that. And I think that kind of is encouraging in one way, because that means I looked at this and said, what does Scripture say, not what do I want to say, because I don't want to like step on anyone's toes. And so we're going to be looking at what Scripture says about rest. And um, what I've seen kind of growing up is this idea of rest, and this, there are, this idea of work in this country, that it needs to be constant and that you need to be doing all the time and working hard all the time because otherwise, guess what? There's someone out there working harder than you and they're going to get what you want. They're going to achieve the success that you desire. I heard this a lot during my, my youth growing up playing sports. It was, there was this idea that, you know, if you took a day off, if you didn't work hard on a day, guess what? There's someone else out there who is working hard and is, is shooting baskets and they're going to be better than you are because they've worked hard. Uh, more than you have. And this led me to a question that we'll get to in a little bit um, that I ask in myself. And kind of in, in, in a prerequisite that I want to make to this to this sermon. There are a few different ways that you can listen to this sermon. Okay? There is the way that I needed to hear when I was preparing for this in Scripture of um, answering the question that I'm going to ask later on. And if you're someone who works all the time super hard and never takes a rest, then this sermon might be um, for you. But also, there's the people out there who, who might say, you know, Jack, I, I think that I have this healthy view of work and, and rest and this work-life balance. And so, if that's you, awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. That is really good. You can listen to this sermon and help encourage others in your life who, might, who you might know that works way too much and far too often and um, needs to take a break, right? Um, there's also the person where it's like, hey, Jack, you know, uh, I kind of need a rest from resting. Um, <laughs> you know, whether you be retired and you're like, hey, I, I want to do something, 
Well, you can listen to this and hopefully le- learn some insights where you could take that to someone and say, hey, I heard this um, you know, from, from Scripture, and I really want to encourage you in this way. And um, maybe you could then you know, have a meeting with someone that you know in your life that works way too much and needs to take a break. So those are the few ways that I really want to encourage you. You can listen to this sermon, and you know, I really hope this applies to each and every person in this room. This isn't directed at anyone specifically. This is just, in general, what I found the Bible says, says about rest and what I kind of wanted to, to lead you in this morning. And so I wanted to start off with a few statistics. I love statistics. I think that it reveals a lot about different things. And when you look at this topic of work and rest, specifically in this country, there are so many statistics that you can find out there that it was hard to boil them down to just a few. But I managed to, and um, there's a few that I find absolutely staggering. And the first of of which is this. 48% of Americans view themselves as workaholics. Now, I find this to be a problem, not necessarily because of the number that's directly up on screen, but because this is the amount of people who actually identify themselves as workaholics. This completely leaves out the people who are workaholics that don't identify themselves as workaholics. And as we know, the, the, the kind of the ending there of aholic is kind of, you know, when something becomes an issue, right? If we're classifying someone as an alcoholic, then we're wanting to say, hey, we might need to get you some help. You might have an issue with alcohol. And so this is the same word. But what's funny to me is sometimes people actually brag about being a workaholic. Like, yeah, I'm a workaholic. I work 60 hours a week. And, you know, I'm working 60 hours next week. And that's just what I got to do to get the job done and all this stuff. And it's like, hey, no, you might have a little bit of a problem there. We might need to have a conversation about this. And my, 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 my goal in, in, in preaching this sermon isn't to, like, attack anyone or say, hey, you have an issue, fix it. My goal is to say, hey, guess what? There are people um, who view work and rest in different ways, and we need to acknowledge that. And if we have a relationship with someone where we know that they're not working how they should, we should have a conversation with them about that topic. Because that's important, and that's what we do with just about anything, right? If someone were to have a problem with alcohol, we wouldn't feel the need to speak into that situation if we didn't know them, or if we were not close with them, right? So it's the same thing with this topic of work. The second statistic is kind of a, a generalization. I, I, I grabbed it from so many different statistics that said the same thing pretty much. Americans work longer hours and take less time off than most other developed countries. And this is just a, a, a fact. We work so many more hours per year and take a lot less time off per year than so many other developed countries. And when I say so many, I mean like almost all of them. And the ones that, that don't necessarily work longer hours than we do and don't take more time off than we do are actually over here in North America and South America. So many European and Asian countries actually work less hours and take more time off than we do in developed countries. Now, this isn't me trying to advocate for anything like, hey, we need to be more like Europe or anything like that. I'm just saying there is a difference. People view work and rest very differently, and there is a specific view that we have of work in this country that I'd like to just acknowledge and talk about this, this morning. And I think that view is this equation that can't really, that isn't really true. And that equation that we like to think of as, as work in this country is hard work equals sign success, right? Hard work equals success. And we ought to be striving for success all the time. 
And if you're not working hard, then you won't reach success. Or if you haven't reached success, then obviously you're not working hard enough, right? So we have this idea that hard work equals success. And that's like the American dream, right? If you come to this country, if you're, you know, an immigrant, then you work hard and you can achieve success. And that's wonderful and we're happy for you. Or if you're born in this country, you can work hard and you can achieve success. When in reality, that isn't the truth. There are so many more factors in that equation that, that apply to a lot of different people. And I don't think the Bible actually talks about work in this way where work equals success, right? And this, this idea actually led a secular article that I was reading on this topic, a secular article, to discuss this idea of hard work equaling success as a falsified God. And he said that this, this falsified God will actually produce some of those successful people. I like, I, all week I've been thinking of the example of Elon Musk, right? Hard work equals success for him. Right? He's a billionaire now. He's CEO of Tesla, and he founded SpaceX and all these different organizations, right? Hard work equals success. And he, he says he works 80 to 100 hours per work week, which I don't buy. I think that's uh, you know, overestimation. But I do believe that he works really long hours. Because he does work hard, and he's, he's achieved success in many of our eyes, right? But this secular article was discussing that, said it will produce the Elon Musk of the world, but for most people, that's not the equation that comes up. Hard work does not always equal success. And there's always been, and there still is, these systemic barriers for a lot of people in this equation, right? For many of us in this room, like that can be, that could have been the equation, that can be the equation, but for many people, that, is, that just doesn't work. That can't be the equation. And there's a lot of barriers in there, and there's a lot of other factors in there that, that either equal or don't equal success. And yes, a lot of those barriers fall along racial lines. It's just, that is how it is. But the, the fact of the matter remains that Americans work longer hours and take less time off than most other developed countries. And we think, you know, hey, we'll, we work longer hours and so we get more paid vacation time, which isn't true. They actually receive more vacation time in most other developed countries than we do, um, as well as some other things. But th there's just this comparison there. And I'm only making the comparison to say, hey, this is kind of how we view work and rest in this country. Um, Next one, 95% of teens said having a job or career they enjoy was very important in a study on youth anxiety. So this isn't a study on, hey, what are you excited about most in graduating? Hey, you're going to graduate soon. What are you excited about? No, this is a study saying, hey, what is causing you stress? What is causing you anxiety? And 95% of teens said finding a job or career they enjoy. Maybe this isn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? They're thinking about their, fu their future, and that's great, right? We prefer them not using the terms of stress and anxiety, but they're thinking about their future. When it's coupled with the uh, statistic that 47% um, of these teens said that uh, finding a spouse or someone to marry was causing them stress or anxiety, I, I think this statistic is a little bit staggering because, you know, and maybe that, that is kind of encouraging because they're not thinking about marriage as a teenager and maybe they shouldn't be, right? It's not really that, that, that time to think about that. But the way we talk about marriage and the workplace is vastly different in a lot of ways. Right? When we're talking about marriage, we say, hey, this is a lifelong commitment to someone. This is like you're, you're promising to be with this person either until you die or they die. Like this is a lifelong commitment. This is a huge, huge commitment. 
Or as we say in a job, like, hey, if you're feeling like it's an unhealthy workplace, or if you're just not enjoying that job, you can leave it after a couple, three years. And nobody bats an eye. Like, that's fine. It's okay. Find another career. Find something that you enjoy. There's so much less of a commitment in that area than there is in the institution of marriage. Yet only 47% of teens said that causes them stress, and 95% of them said, no, finding a job or a career I enjoy causes me stress. And I think that's because of just the way we grow up around this, this idea of work in this country. And to kind of put that into perspective, here's the first point on your, on your outline, starting with the, the question, work ethic is often viewed as an indicator of someone's character. I think in this nation, work ethic is often viewed as an indicator of someone's character. I saw this a lot growing up in a small town. Because you have, you have the kids who, who treat teachers terribly. They treat their ca- classmates horribly. Uh, they don't get good grades. But they work hard in the summer and they buck hay, so they're a good kid. And then you've got the kids who treat their teachers amazingly. They're encouraging to their classmates. They get wonderful grades, but because they play video games during the summer, they're lazy and they're a terrible kid and they need to learn something. I, I saw that a few times growing up, where I, I was around this kid at school, and some of the adults in the community said, oh, they're a great kid. You know, they came out and they bought tape for me this summer, and it was, it was, they're just an amazing kid going somewhere in life. And I'm like, really? I see a completely different side of them at school. They bully me at school. They call me names. And then I hear that same adult saying, oh, that kid, he needs to learn something. All he does is play video games all the time. And I'm like, it's because he's working hard all the time in school. He's a good kid, and he treats the teachers and classmates respectfully and loves them and is encouraging to them. And maybe even he might be working at McDonald's throughout the summer, and the adult doesn't know that. But because they're not doing what we view as, like, a high work ethic job, then they're not a good kid. And that's just not true. And so we sometimes make snap judgments based on a person's working habits. And this still happens as adults, right? We sometimes like see someone who maybe um, lost a job or, or quit from a job, and maybe they're trying to find something in a specific career because they know they'll enjoy that, but because they're not taking anything that'll come up, then obviously they don't, they don't want to work, and so they're lazy and they're not a good person. And we actually don't know the reality of the situation that they're in. We don't know that person well enough to say, yeah, this is what's happening, or yeah, they're, they're, they're being this way. But by all means, if we know somebody personally, if we have a close relationship with them and we know they're not being reflective of Christ and their work ethic, that is a conversation to have. Like, we must have that conversation. It's essential. But when we don't know somebody and we don't know their situation, guess what? We can't really speak into their lives in that way because we don't know what's happening. And we can't judge their character based on things that we are making assumptions about. We just can't. But because of how I, I know some people view work and, and how just this nation in general views work and rest and this idea of hard work obviously equals success and so you've just got to be working hard all the time, it leads me to a question. And it leads me to the question, can I ever take a break? Now, my personality type is one where I am thinking of what others are thinking about me all the time. Okay? Maybe that's not you, and maybe this idea of work, rest, balance isn't an issue for you. And that is so good. I'm so glad to hear that. More power to you. But for me, and maybe you're kind of like me, I'm constantly thinking, what are others thinking in the ways that I'm working, and how I'm governing my time, and how I'm governing my time off? 
Are they thinking I'm lazy? Are they thinking I'm taking too much time off? Are they judging the trips that I'm taking? Are they saying I'm not, um, you know, managing my finances correctly? I'm always thinking about what others are thinking about me. And I know that's an issue, and I need to work on that. Um, and trust me, I am. But that's just my personality type. I, I'm constantly thinking, like, what are others thinking about me? Because I know you've trusted me with a very important job. And, you know, uh, just being honest, I know that you trust me with finances because you pay, you know, my bills and all those things, right? And so I'm like, I need to be doing a good job because these people are trusting me with a lot. These people are trusting me with this job, with so many other things. And so I know I need to be doing a good job. And because of the way I've grown up and just hearing about work ethic and, and hard work and all these things, I'm like, if I take a break, are people going to think I'm lazy? If I take a break, are people going to think that I'm not doing a good job? And again, maybe you're not like me at all and you look at work and rest in a wonderful way. It's awesome. I hope that this is just an encouragement to you and you're like, yeah, I already do that, Pastor Jack, so thanks. And I'll just keep encouraging my friends who maybe struggle with work or whatever it might be, right? But maybe you're like me and you're like, you've asked this question before, can I take a break? Should I take a break? Um, and so, uh, getting into what Scripture says about rest, I want to start off with what Scripture doesn't say. I kind of want to sum it all up. The Bible doesn't define an American ideal of work. The Bible defines an ideal of work that propels the gospel. That the Bible does not define this ideal of work that is, hey, if you work really, really hard, you'll find success, and that's just what you should do. The, the Bible defines an ideal of work that says, yeah, work hard. That is a good, good thing to do that reflects Christ. Christ worked hard in many areas. Work hard. But also, guess what you should throw in there? Rest. You should rest. You should rest. And I really appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things that I, I said earlier in the sermon, like, I was nervous about this sermon because I felt like I was going to be stepping on some toes and, and, and challenging some things. But I only felt that way because I just, I read the Bible and said, what does it actually say about rest and work? And this is what I've found out. And you might be saying, well, Jack, isn't there um, some scriptures in the Bible that say work hard and that you should? And I say, yeah, there is. I find it interesting that most of those scriptures are found in Proverbs, which, as we know, aren't necessarily supposed to be things that we take at face value for actual literal theology, right? We don't read a proverb and say, all right, that's the theology on that topic, and we should take that and like, apply that to everything in life. Proverbs are good rules of thumb. Like, they're, they're, they're wise words, okay? So they are things that we should listen to, because guess what? Most of the time they're true, but they're not going to be true 100% of the time. And so I wanted to pull out a couple Proverbs on hard work. First one from Proverbs 14 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty, which is a wonderful rule of thumb. For the most part, that is completely true. But I wouldn't say it's true 100% of the time. Right? Yeah, working hard, for the most part, is going to bring a profit. And only talking about working hard, <laughs> that's probably going to lead you to poverty, right? We know those people in our lives that just talk about doing things and never actually do things and then no things get done, right? But this isn't true 100% of the time. I just think of farming and the idea of when you plant a field, right? And you, you work on that field, you put a lot of hard work into that field, and then it dies. It doesn't turn a profit. That's a lot of hard work that just went away just because the field died. And it actually leads to more hard work you need to be done. 
So, like I said, this isn't true 100% of the time. It's a wonderful rule of thumb. Yes, hard work leads to a profit a lot of the time. But if this were like true 100% of the time, then one of the, the, the false teachings that is prevalent in the church would be true, and it's not. And that is the prosperity gospel. If we said you just work hard and trust God all the time, then you'll turn a profit, then that, that would be true. But it's not. That is a completely false, false teaching. Because this is not true 100% of the time. Like I said, it's a wonderful rule of thumb. The next one. So when I was at my computer, I, 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 I googled uh, verses about hard work in the Bible, right? And this one pops up on this website, and this, so it says this, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcely like an armed man. So I read this, I was like, oh, that's scary. And then I read the article that they like left with it. They said, hey, Never sleep when there's hard work to be done. It says it right here. And I was like, ooh, okay. So that means I should never take a nap when, there, when my yard needs me mowed. Okay. I was like, this can't be all of it, right? And so I went to Proverbs, what, 6? Yeah, Proverbs 6. Because I don't like to look up Proverbs 6, 10 through 11 when I'm on, on Google or whatever. I look up the whole proverb, and so I did. And I found out there's a little bit of context to this verse that really helps me understand it. So verse 9, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Okay, and then it goes into the little sleep, little, yeah. So this adds the context of, this is kind of like a dad walking to his son's room saying, hey, you're sleeping the day away, get up and actually do something. Like, do anything today, just do something, right? Because if you just sleep all the time, then nothing will ever get done, which is true. But this isn't saying, hey, you can't sleep when there's hard work to be done, right? Sometimes you need rest. You need to take a nap before you do something, right? Or you need to actually go to sleep and get an ample amount of sleep, um, which I didn't last night because I was stressed about this sermon. But you need to sleep, right? And so the, the article which is completely false and saying, hey, you can't sleep when there's hard work to be done. No, you can. You can take a rest. Like that, that hard work, it will get done. Because if you're struggling with that area, then you're probably going to want to get it done anyway. So taking a little bit more rest isn't going to affect anything in the long run anyway. But I just found that interesting. I added so much context to that verse. But also, Proverbs teaches us to find rest. So Proverbs doesn't just teach us to work hard. It also teaches us to rest. And we see that here. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Another good rule of thumb. Our focus in life should not be on just finding success and getting rich. And, I mean, even people who have well intentions for finding success. You know, you'll meet people who are like, yeah, you know, I want to do well in life so that I can give back, so I can give to the church, so I can serve in the church. And like, that's amazing. That's awesome. But when money and, and just success in general, whatever success looks like, becomes your only focus, then you, you face a problem in life. Because guess what? Those things can disappear in an instant. There are much more important things in life that won't disappear. And that is your faith with Christ. That should be the focus of our, uh, of our being. And so as we get into what the Bible actually says about rest, I hope that I haven't confused anyone. My, my goal has just been to define, like, hey, like America has kind of a specific view of work and rest, and I think that to be a little bit unhealthy. So what does Scripture actually say about it? So as we get into it... Um, I hope that you're kind of following along with me. But first and foremost, 
Rest is an intentional cease of working. Rest is an intentional cease of working. And that word cease is very intentional. <laughs> intentional cease. Um, and that is because of this. So, Genesis 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all this work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. So this word for, for rested, okay, in, in Genesis 2, it's the word sabbat, and yes, that's where they get the word Sabbath, okay? And the word sabbat also is used throughout the Old Testament to say cease in different areas. There's a, a section where it talks about the, the rains ceasing when it's talking about the flood and things like that. So with that, we can understand like, hey, God ceased intentionally His work. And what I find fascinating about that is I've always thought forever that you need to be tired or exhausted or weary to rest. Because if you're not any of those things, then you obviously haven't worked hard enough to get rest. Right? Because I have this idea, especially with like sabbaticals and things like that, you know, where pastors are, you know, at a church for 10, 15, 20 years. And they're like, hey, you've been here for a while. We're going to send you on a sabbatical. Take a month off, you know. Spend time with family, travel, go to different churches, all these things, like rest and recover yourself. And I always thought that this was because those pastors are exhausted and tired from working at a church for 10, 15, 20 years. That's not always true. Sometimes pastors feel like so energetic, like they're just, they're like, yeah, no, I've been finding rest in a really wonderful way for my entire career here, but still, I want to intentionally cease working for a while just to enjoy what I've done and also to prepare for what's coming. Because there is no indication in Genesis 2 of when God rested that God was tired or exhausted or weary. Right? God just intentionally said, no, I'm setting aside the seventh day to enjoy what I've created, to rest and to prepare for what's coming. Which I find beautiful and lovely. So we don't need to be tired or exhausted or weary to take a rest. In fact, sometimes when we do that, when we take a rest, when we're not tired or exhausted, that is the best rest we ever have. So I remember in high school, um, I woke up one day, spring of my senior year of high school, and I just was not feeling going to school. It wasn't because I was like tired or, or, or anything or sick. I just was like, I really just don't want to go. I don't want to deal with my teachers. I don't want to deal with, with classmates, all that good old jazz, right? I was like, I just don't want to. So I go to my mom. I'm like, hey, mom, uh, I'm just, I really don't want to go to school today. I expected the answer of, you have to, it's the law. No, I didn't expect that kind of answer from my mom. But like, hey, no, you have to. Like, why wouldn't you go to school if you're not sick, right? But she said, okay, that's fine. Because she knew that I, 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 I attended school, like, all the time. I, I never skipped classes or anything like that. So she just, she thought, like, he has a good reason for it. And I remember that day, like, I obviously remember that day, but I remember that day being one of the most restful and, like, recovering times of my life. I just, I remember, and it was just one day, but I felt so good after that day. I was so ready for the rest of the week and for the rest of, you know, the, the month or whatever it might be, just because I was like, I really don't feel like doing this today. I'm going to take the day off and, like, focus on my relationship with Christ and myself, and I'm just going to, like, build up and, and just prepare, Right? And it ended up being a wonderful day. Sometimes, like, our best resting days are ones where we're not tired or exhausted. Next point, 
It's okay for rest to be interrupted, but we can't put it off for too long. It's okay for rest to be interrupted. I think we see that in the story in Mark 6, where it says this, The apostles gathered around uh, Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So we just have this image of the disciples. They've been doing a lot of things. They've been teaching a lot of people. They've been doing so much so that they haven't even eaten anything. And so Jesus is like, hey, good job, guys. Let's get some rest. All right. And then this happens. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran out on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. This is the beginning of the feeding of the 5,000. So not only does Jesus begin teaching them many things, they also feed a lot of people. And if you've ever fed a lot of people, you know that's a lot of work, right? And so we see that the disciples and Jesus, they didn't necessarily get the rest they intentionally set aside to get. But then after this story, after Jesus teaches many things and the feeding of the 5,000, we get this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and, and uh, go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So you get this image of Jesus saying, hey, you guys go on ahead. You guys you know, get the rest that you deserve. Go on ahead and I'll dismiss the crowd. And then we see Jesus going to pray, which as we can see in Scripture, when Jesus goes away to pray, especially alone, it's for a very specific reason. It's to connect with God the Father. And I think he finds rest in those moments. And we also see that later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He found rest. He needed to be alone for a little bit. He needed to find rest. It's okay to be alone for a little bit to find rest. But we also see throughout the story that, hey, their rest was interrupted. They were intentionally setting aside time to find rest, and it was interrupted. But guess what? Jesus said, yeah, we'll, we'll serve you. We'll ha- I'm having compassion on you because I set aside this time to have rest, and sometimes that can be frustrating when you set aside time to have rest and it gets interrupted. But Jesus had compassion and was ready to serve them. That's completely okay. To have your rest interrupted and to serve people. Because hopefully, that will be returned at some point. It's like, hey, I know that I was going to get some rest, but you needed something, so I'm willing to serve you. Next, rest is found in Christ. Rest is found in Christ. Throughout the week, I kind of cha- I kept changing the wording of this 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 uh, this point because I said rest is best found in Christ. But I didn't really like the rhyming thing. I felt like that would seem intentional, but then it wasn't intentional. Rest is best found in Christ, right? So I just said rest is found in Christ. And ideally, this is where we're finding most of our rest, is in Christ Jesus. And is intentionally to seek out Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him. Whatever you're doing, you can dedicate to Jesus Christ. Because when we rest in Christ, when we seek out that rest in Christ, it builds us up and it builds our faith, it builds our relationship with Jesus, which is ideal. It's, it's ideal to our spiritual lives, right? 
But I think we see that in Matthew 11 here, where it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For so long, I was like, what do eggs have to do with this? I don't understand. It's spelled differently. It's not about eggs. So. Um, that was meant to be a joke, but it didn't land, so cool. Um, what, what a yoke is, is um, it is this contraption that kind of connects two oxen together, or just two general animals, but typically oxen, so that they can share the brunt in pulling a cart forward, or just pulling something forward, or filling the field, whatever, what, what have you, right? And so, um, this idea of, of yoke was, would, be, would be used to discuss Judaism kind of often, because honestly, Judaism was very work focused, right? Because there were so many laws that you either had to do something specific or not do something specific. So even when you were like, hey, I'm taking my Sabbath day today, there were still ways that you had to work because you had to be very intentional about what laws you followed and what laws you also didn't follow, right? And so there's this idea of, like, this, this is very much work, what you're doing and what we're doing in this faith. And so when Jesus is talking to these Jewish people, he's saying, I know that your faith is wearisome and it burdens you. Come to me and I will give you rest. Like, the, the faith you will have in me will give you rest because, guess what? I'm going to take the brunt of that load. I'm going to take, you know, to, to join me in this yoke, but, like, I'm going to be the one that's taking the most of the weight. And for those Jewish people, that was like so relieving, like almost literally a weight off their shoulders in this, in this, this, uh, this mention here. But I think this can also apply to us in many ways and where, where we say, yeah, this life, <laughs> it can definitely be burdensome. It can definitely cause us to be weary and tired and turning to Christ in so many different ways, even when we've already like, given our lives over to Jesus saying, no, I'm, I'm going to turn to Jesus right now and just enjoy the rest in Him that I can experience. It's such a beautiful and lovely thing, and I'm so appreciative of that. Lastly, in this What the Bible Says section, rest is meant to be refreshing. Rest is meant to be refreshing. Or we don't just rest to, 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 to rest for rest's sake, right? Rest, in, in many ways, leads to refreshment, Right? So for a long time I thought, well, when I'm resting, I'm just going to like lie there and do nothing because that's what you know, kind of makes me feel happy or whatever. But I found that that doesn't always make me feel completely refreshed. Right? It gives me a little bit of energy, but it doesn't give me the energy that some other things can really lead me into. But I think we see that rest is meant to be refreshing in these few verses here um, from Paul. First and foremost, Philemon 7, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Next, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition from 1 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians, by all this, uh, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. Now, this wording is completely different from Matthew 11 and Mark 6. But what we need to know is the Greek word for rest in Mark 6 and Matthew 11 is the same Greek word used for refreshed and refreshed in these three verses used by Paul. And so I found that incredibly fascinating. Um, and when I was reading, you know, kind of the, the definition of this Greek word, and I can't remember exactly what it is because it had a lot of A's in it, it was kind of confusing. But 
Um, the, the, the Greek word literally means rest, and by implication, refreshed, is what they said. And I found that, like, so, like, I was like, oh, wow, that's very interesting. And I appreciate how Paul used this, but that very clearly leads us to believe that, hey, when we rest, the goal is to be refreshed and prepared for what's coming up next. Like, this isn't just a, a rest for rest sake. No, we intentionally do it. We intentionally cease working to find rest. And sometimes it's okay if it's interrupted, but we want to find rest, and we can't put it off too long. We find rest to be refreshed. Like, that is the goal of rest. And for so long, I just thought rest is just laziness, coded in a different word, right? That's not true. Rest serves a legitimate purpose in our faith, in our lives, in our culture. And so in our conclusion section here, first and foremost, rest is incredibly personal and looks different from person to person, right? I had several people come up to me after first service and say, hey, this is how I found rest in my life. One person came up to me and said, hey, when I was a pastor, I also did a lot of other, like, jobs because, um, like, I wasn't, like, me being a pastor, like, me preaching wasn't the, the, my main um, financial intake. And so I did so many different jobs. And actually, those different jobs that I did, I would find rest in because doing something different throughout the week really was rejuvenating for me. I was like, awesome, I'm glad that worked out for you. That would not work out for me. I just get very tired very fast. But that was awesome, right? And there's so many people. I know there's people that feel so much rest and rejuvenation and so, feel so revitalized by working in a garden or by, you know, working kind of on, on, on a farm or whatever they may do. Like, I know people who find rest in those ways. And that is absolutely wonderful, right? I don't find rest in those ways. But other people do, and that's great. But rest is incredibly personal, and people find it in different ways. And what that just leads me to is, hey, we can't make judgments about others based on how they find rest. If they find rest in a specific way, it's not my job to say, no, you don't find rest in that way, right? We should encourage them to say, hey, then do that. If, if they've been working too much and they say, I find rest in this way, then push them like, hey, do these things. Find some rest in your week, because that is so, so important. Next, rest is essential to our relationship with God. Right, I mean, if we're following in the Creator's footsteps, He intentionally rested, so we ought to intentionally rest. But also, more than that, it actually like pushes us in our faith with God to intentionally find rest. Because when we do so, when we intentionally find rest, we are choosing to do specific things during that time, Right? Because I don't think there's ever any time where we intentionally do, like, absolutely nothing, right? When I like to think I'm intentionally doing absolutely nothing, oftentimes the TV is on or I'm sleeping, right? It's an intentional choice to actually do those things. But when we intentionally choose to do something that is rooted in our faith and rooted in Christ, that can so much just amplify our faith and amplify our relationship with God. It's so, so important to do those things. And there are so many things that we can do in our relationship with Christ to find rest. I'm, I'm reading a book in preparation for a class that we might end up doing here at the church that is just coaching me in so many different ways that we can actually find rest in Christ. And it's absolutely awesome. And I, some of the things I've never thought about. But there's like the, the idea of intentionally going on a hike and then spending, you know, the end of that hike with Jesus in, in, in Scripture or in prayer or just, you know, with Him. 
just things like that. There are so many different ways where our faith can be bolstered and, and lifted up and, and, um, and rest. Next, rest is not laziness. It actually promotes productivity and revitalized living for Christ. So like I said, for a long time, I just viewed rest as laziness. And if I ever rested, people would view me as lazy, which isn't true. It's just not true. And in fact, rest is very, very, very biblical and very, very essential to our lives. And what it does is it actually promotes productivity and revitalized living for Christ. And what the example I used um, in first service was this idea that, hey, um, uh, I kind of have my work week structured in a specific way now. And on Wednesdays, what I do, since we have uh, family night and youth group, is I work in the morning, and then I kind of take a little bit of a longer lunch, and I take a nap during that time. So that I can come back and give all the energy I have um, in spending time with teenagers. Uh, you know, because Dakota is so difficult to deal with. I'm just kidding, Dakota. So, um, But no, just because I want to be able to come to youth group prepared to have a good time and prepared to actually be present with them. Because I noticed for a long time when I worked like all throughout the day and then had a uh, youth group, my mind would just be shot. Like there would be nothing there for me to actually like contribute um, with these youth students. Which obviously isn't a good thing because I was being, I'm being paid to do a specific thing and that is to be mentally present with youth students, right? But this idea of working all day and then getting to YouTube, it just wasn't working. So I'm going to go home, take a little bit of a longer lunch, and take a nap. And then now I'm like, yes, i got to go hang out with youth students as opposed to, dang it, I have to go hang out with youth students. Like it's, it's wonderful, and I love it, right? And so it actually promotes productivity and revitalizes living for Christ. Lastly, work and rest are partners in spreading the gospel. They are not two mutually exclusive ideas. Work and rest actually go together. They fit very, very well together. Because if we find a really good work-life balance, our productivity is going to skyrocket. What we do is going to be just amplified for Christ. Because, guess what? We have the energy to do such things when we find and intentionally find like good rest. Because there is a point where rest does kind of become laziness, and there actually is rest that doesn't like, it doesn't really work out for us. And so kind of part of our jobs, and maybe if you're someone who says, yeah, I don't really work all the time, I'm not a workaholic, but still, I kind of find myself to be tired often, I, what I'd encourage you to do is to seek out and find ways that you find rest. That is your, your goal, moving forward from this sermon, is to actually look for and find different ways to find rest in Christ. Because there are so many different ways that we can do it. And if you want to have a conversation with me, like, honestly, um, let me know, and I will take you to coffee or whatever, and we will talk about just the different ways that we can find rest in Christ. If you're like, I'm struggling to find my way to find rest in Christ. Because, it, honestly, there are very specific ways that each and every one of us individually can find that rest. And it's hard to find sometimes, and so I'd love to have that conversation with you. In terms of next steps, I first and foremost want to put this out there. The first one, give your life to Christ. If Matthew 11 spoke to you uh, in a very real way this morning, if you have felt burdened or wearied by this life and finding rest in Christ sounds wonderful to you and beautiful to you, I really would encourage you to take this next step. Um, we're going to sing a song in a moment here, and I would encourage you to come forward um, and just have a conversation with me about next steps and what that looks like for you, or you can contact the church office throughout the week. 
Next, sign up for a Connect class. This is what we're, what we're kind of doing to introduce you to the church and what we believe, what we teach, and just kind of our history and the history of our movement. Our next one is happening on July 11th. We will provide lunch for you, and we would just love to see you there if you're looking to connect or learn more about the church. Next one, join a small group. I can't reiterate this enough. Like, please, join small groups. These are, these are ways that we are really looking to connect this church with each other and to grow in our faith and love. Um, and then the next one, join a service team. As we look at our, our vision out on the wall there, you'll see we really want to see you connect with God in this church and grow in your faith and love and also serve the community and world. And so this is a way we're doing it. We have specific service teams, and if you're interested in those and what they look like, please contact the church office throughout the week. The next one is sermon-specific. Take a break. Okay? Now, if you're one of those people that was saying, hey, I don't need a break, I need a break from a break, then... Guess what? The joining a service team or a small group are the ones for you. But um, if, if you have felt spoken to through this sermon, not from what I've said, because I've just been spewing words, um, but from what God has said um, through Scripture this morning, then I really want to encourage you to take a break and to feel encouraged in taking a break. Don't feel guilty about it like I for so long have. Be, feel encouraged to actually take a break. Like it's, it's good. It's healthy. It's actually beneficial and will promote your productivity and your revitalized living for Christ. Um, I hope this sermon was a, an encouragement to you in, in one way or another. Um, but that kind of concludes our next steps here. So I want to invite you to stand if you are able for our closing song.